大家晚上好，这里是正在为您。Welcome to Merrick's Experts, the podcast that provides analysis of current affairs in China. Hello, I'm Ruth Kirchner. Thanks for joining me in the Merrick Studio in Berlin. Now, when you think of China, the word happiness doesn't always spring to mind. We talk a lot about the Chinese Communist Party, politics, the environment, GDP growth, or socialism with Chinese characteristics. Yes, that's probably more like it. But what about this? Dong Fang Hong, "The East Is Red," a famous propaganda song from the Mao era, with the lyrics proclaiming that Chairman Mao brings happiness for his people. Or you might want to consider this: a sleek propaganda video that was released five years ago on the eve of Chinese New Year. The short film has none of the red flag propaganda of the olden days, but artfully touches on issues of family, togetherness, food, and happiness. And then last year, during the 19th Party Congress, the Chinese President and Communist Party leader Xi Jinping also talked about happiness. Chinese Communist Party leader Xi Jinping also talked about happiness. She said the original aspiration and the mission of the Chinese Communist Party is to seek happiness for the Chinese people and rejuvenation of the Chinese nation. So, she clearly linked happiness and the Chinese dream. But is that Chinese dream, which is a political concept after all, actually making people happy? And what is happiness in the Chinese context anyway? To answer these questions and many more, I'm joined by an expert on China and happiness. Her name is Gerda Wielander. She is an associate professor in Chinese studies at the University of Westminster in London and the editor of a forthcoming book on Chinese discourses on happiness. Welcome, Gerda. Before we discuss Xi Jinping and happiness, let's look at the happiness of the Chinese people. Are they actually a happy lot? That's a very difficult question. I guess it depends on who you ask. But if you consider the World Happiness Reports as the authority on、uh, not just the Chinese people's happiness but any our happinesses, then they are sort of not particularly happy.、Uh, the Chinese or China has occupied a relatively middling position on the World Happiness Report. Ever since it has been published, and I think there have been five reports since. That's rather surprising, isn't it? Because if you look at China's development, there have been huge increases in、uh, personal wealth and the overall physical well-being of the people, and reduction of poverty. So、uh, people are better off, but they are still very, very unhappy. Why is that? People are better off, but it's not so much a case of them still being very unhappy, because in fact, China, like Russia. Was a very happy country, a very happy population in 1990, when really the economic reforms and economic development hasn't had quite the impact yet that it has today. China, in fact, confounds quite a few of the factors that those who are concerned with discovering、uh, the happiness of people in different countries and the various factors that impact on people's happiness, because it doesn't quite fit the picture. For example, GDP is usually considered as a very good predictor of people's happiness, but not so in China. Because in the period when China's GDP was growing the fastest,、uh, China's people's happiness was falling quite drastically, 
And in fact, in recent years, in the last 10 years or so, when in fact the GDP growth has been slowing down and economic uh, development hasn't been as significant as it was in, in, in the previous two decades, Chinese have started to become happier. So there are a few paradoxes, it seems, uh, in when we're looking at China's or the Chinese people's happiness. But uh, how do you explain that? Uh, why is wealth uh, or higher income levels, uh, why is that not making people more happy? I think there are different reasons to that. I mean, certainly people, there are a lot of people who are much, much better off than they used to be before. China's economic development has certainly raised millions of people out of poverty. But at the same time, China is also a very different society where the social security that people enjoyed under the socialist system has been successively dismantled uh, in particular, and that was particularly felt by the population in the 1990s. And it is only, it is a very slow process to rebuild that. Certainly new structures, new, um, you know, social insurance, etc. Is, is, is being brought in, but the effects of that are quite slow. So that is why people became actually very unhappy and happiness levels in China dropped quite significantly during a time when the economy was growing because what the Chinese used to refer to as the iron rice bowl, which is a metaphor for the comprehensive social security system that was provided by the Chinese state that looked after people from cradle to grave, as they as they said, uh, was no longer available. And it actually meant that people found themselves often unemployed, often without any financial support in an environment where both education and health care started to become very expensive, where housing started to become very expensive. So it actually, when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense that the Chinese in the 1990s and all of the early 2000s would be increasingly unhappy about the situation they find themselves in in their daily lives because even though they might have a bit more money in their pockets that money actually doesn't buy quite as much as it might have bought during the socialist period. And more recently people then still rather unhappy as you suggested that they are still ranking rather low on the world happiness um, ranking lists on the indexes or are they sort of crawling back up? They're crawling back up slowly, I suppose. I think, generally speaking, if you look at the rankings, China is still hasn't made a huge, uh, hasn't, hasn't climbed up significantly. And I would say that uh, Xi Jinping's uh, great concern about, um, you know, the, the, the Chinese dream and linking the Chinese dream to not just re rejuvenation of the Chinese nation, but also the happiness of the Chinese people, partly has got to do with that. And in fact, it's not the first time that Xi Jinping is talking about happiness and, uh, and, and the happiness of the Chinese people. He started uh, to talk about that even at, uh, at the 18th Party Congress when he just uh, came to power. And you could say that perhaps uh, the first uh, World Happiness Report that came out in 2012, just a year before he took power, and which saw China very distinctly middling position, might in fact have triggered a lot of this concern that we see now about raising and improving uh, the Chinese, Chinese people's happiness. So you're saying the CCP, Xi Jinping, they, is trying uh, to improve people's happiness. How so and with what, what kind of political measures? There's a whole variety of different measures, and I would certainly say that the Chinese uh, Communist Party, the Chinese government, are trying to improve Chinese people's happiness and even declare happiness targets. So one of, uh, one of China's main economists has declared that by 2030, he would hope that, and he will see, in fact, he predicts that China will be uh, one of the happiest countries in the world. 
Now, there are a variety of different uh, measures that the Chinese Communist Party proposes, and it depends a little bit on where in China you are, which method that the party will adopt. So if you find yourself in an underdeveloped, still relatively underdeveloped region of China, like, for example, Tibet, uh, China's or the government's strategy will focus on economic development, quite similar to the way it focused on economic development in the 1950s, also in mainland China. So when you look and read uh, sources from the 1950s, uh, happiness is very much tied to material prosperity. And we can see that in Tibet today, for example, where the party talks about the Tibetan people's happiness brought about by economic development. But when you look into more affluent areas of China, and if you look into the big cities, for example, concerns are quite different. In these areas, uh, the party and its campaign and its propaganda mostly focuses on people's spiritual happiness, and it focuses on values, um, and it focuses on, on Chinese culture and tries to link people's individual and spiritual and mental well-being to being part of this prosperous or newly prosperous Chinese nation which is underpinned by Chinese values which are of course simultaneously also promoted by Xi Jinping. Can you give me an example for that? Um, how do Chinese traditional values um, and happiness, how is that linked? One key value that is being promoted in, in the context of Chinese happiness is the family, the Chinese family, uh, Chinese food, the extended Chinese family coming together at, uh, at New Year's, for example, but also eating together, chopsticks, for example, and there's a very famous um, public service advertising film that is framed all around chopsticks as sort of a core symbol of Chinese culture and Chinese values. So, so it's the family, it is shared food, but also shared traditions uh, that, are, that are coming back. And these traditions are a combination of sort of vaguely Confucian traditions, a little bit of Taoist, a little bit of Buddhist values, but also in many ways socialist traditions and socialist values that are being reinforced again. Socialist values in which way? Well, socialist values in a sense of... We, we hear a lot of the, uh, the rhetoric that uh, Xi Jinping, for example, is using also in relation to happiness is about how you have to fight for happiness. And the Chinese term that he uses in this phrase actually is quite reminiscent, as it's the term uh, for struggle. And that, is a quite, that's, that, that really is a socialist term, parking uh, back to different times. And it, inherent in it is this idea that you have to work for your happiness. It will not be you know, just served on a silver platter, but that uh, you know you have this, you, you you can you can influence it, and it's down to every individual. But then collectively, there will be uh, you know the Chinese people can bring about this rejuvenation um, of the Chinese nation, and that's very much uh, socialist about uh, you know about adopting the correct spirit, adopting the correct attitude, and working towards something. As, a, as an individual, but then as a collective, achieving a seemingly insurmountable or unachievable goal. This is Merrick's Experts. My guest today is Gerda Wielander, Associate Professor at the University of Westminster. We're discussing China, happiness and the Chinese dream. So you just started to explain the link between happiness and Xi Jinping's idea of the Chinese dream. What kind of happiness are we actually talking about? Are we talking about individual happiness or collective happiness? 
I think the two go together. There's certainly much emphasis on individual happiness. And when we're looking at um, middle, the Chinese middle classes, for example, the more affluent middle classes, they're very much afflicted by the same anxieties and depression and insecurities that people all over the world in developed countries are also struggling with. And here we see very much individual solutions as well, individual people looking for different um, coping strategies, different ways and methods, also different philosophies, different therapies in order to bring about their own individual happiness and mental well-being. That, of course, when that happens on a, on a, on a social scale, then we're also talking about uh, a collective transformation and collective happiness. And certainly uh, the Chinese government and the party are also proposing and offering all sorts of different possible strategies to and, and are promoting different strategies uh, for people to adopt and hence bring about individual and as a result collective happiness in China. Positive psychology is one of those. Positive psychology is very, very popular in China and is actively promoted uh, by the Communist Party. Positive psychology also ties in with positive energy. Positive energy is a big word and a big buzzword um, in Chinese political discourse on the one hand, but also more generally, uh, people talking about, you know, having having positive energy, trying to find and associate with other people that have positive energy, cultivating positive energy. It's actually a quite an interesting and potentially uh, worrying aspect. We're talking a lot about the social credit system in China that is coming in. And so one could speculate that possibly one's energy ratings might uh, might also start to be considered in, 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 in a person's uh, social credit score. So this this idea that it's one's duty almost to be positive and to cultivate this positive energy is um, is one quite striking aspect of this campaign. So that means that the concept of, of happiness is is also linked to look at the positive developments in society and maybe not so much focus on on the neg negative aspects of it. Certainly, I think there is a clear attempt or steer to look at what has already been achieved, um, all the great progress that has already been made, um, of course, thanks to the Communist Party and thanks to the Chinese government, with an acknowledgement that more is, is yet to come. So it is not so much a case of China already being portrayed as an incredibly happy country or the happiest country in the world, but something that is within reach, so which, which ties in directly with the Chinese dream, this idea that you know the rejuvenation of the Chinese nation, China being a, a, a superpower, and and uh, you know having this um, you know reaching reaching these goals under Xi Jinping has now come within reach, whereas achieving and communism in the 1950s as part of the Great Leap Forward, for example, while in temporal terms we, they were talking about five or ten years, it was clear to everybody uh, who looked around themselves that it is probably going to take a very long time and not is not going to happen. This sort of dream of, 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 of a bright and affluent future that was also a dream in the 1950s wasn't within reach. But 
under Xi Jinping for the first time, it is within reach, or it appears to be within reach uh, within a lifetime. And so happiness is linked to that. It is sort of not a utopia in the sense that it is uh, somewhere in the distant future that you and I will not, uh, you know, will not will not see in our lifetime. But it's also not here already, because if happiness is here already, then we can all lean back and don't, don't have to work hard anymore. We don't have to struggle for our happiness anymore, as Xi Jinping is saying. We don't have to, you know, that will be the end of productivity, that will be the end of the project. But these messages, I mean, where in China do you see examples of these messages being promoted um, in the propaganda or in the sort of public relations work mm -hmm. by the CCP and the government? Almost everywhere. So you see them in uh, on billboards. I think possibly the most striking for if you if you go to China as a uh, as a visitor, then that's probably where they are most obvious and most striking because in every big city, every wall, the hoardings around uh, building sites, construction sites, they are all populated and plastered with very, very um, attractive images and posters around the Chinese dream. And happiness is built into those. So so there isn't a specific or separate happiness campaign, but happiness is an associated value around the Chinese dreams. You see the character, the Chinese character for happiness built into um, other images that are part of either Chinese socialist core values or part of the Chinese dream campaign. So happiness is sort of part of that. There's no, there's no, there's no separate uh, campaign for it. But when you switch on the TV, for example, in public service advertising, you will encounter short films. Even if you take, a, you know, on, on, on the underground, the Beijing underground, on the hand grips, there are little stickers that are places for advertisements. You will find um, positive psychology being promoted on that, positive outlook on work. You will find these images on bus shelters. They are everywhere. But the key question then is, um, do people actually buy into these concepts? Um, do they believe in these messages? I guess we always like to think that people don't believe in propaganda, but I think we all need to admit that we do believe in propaganda, but otherwise you know, we wouldn't all be carrying the same phone in our pockets, for example. It's just a similar effect uh, that, uh, <laughs> that campaigns have on us. I think part of the reason why I do think that this, uh, this campaign is quite successful and that people are affected by it, I'd, I'd probably put it that way, is because it picks up on values and images and ideas that are already popular in the wider imagination. And there's a lot of consensus over the sources of happiness lying in the family, for example, in Chinese culture. There's a lot of consensus about Chinese culture being different to Western culture. Uh, that does not mean antagonistic, but just that Chinese way of life is different to a Western way of life, that it is informed by different values, that these values underpin uh, the Chinese project, the Chinese dream. So I do think that there is a reasonable degree of buy-in and support for these values from sectors of the population who have benefited from the reforms and from what the Chinese dream uh, promotes. I'm not saying that everybody is convinced and certainly there are counter discourses. There are young people who opt out of it, or who make fun of it. You'll find very humorous takes on the Chinese dream online, but you also find very, very critical 
and rejections of, of, of the campaign. And you just have to look into non-Han uh, areas and regions of China, if you look at Tibet, for example, which paradoxically is uh, portrayed as one of the happiest places in China by the Chinese government. I think the Tibetan people feel very different about that. So buying into these concepts is one thing, um, being happier is another. Then finally, does the Chinese dream make people happy or happier? Who knows? I'd say that it's possible. I do think that what we see and have actually seen for some time now, this hasn't started with Xi Jinping, this started much earlier, this sort of repositioning of the discourse in China from rejecting the West, um, being angry about the West, being angry about what has happened to China, being humiliated. So we have this whole, you know, this discourse of a century of humiliation, turning this around, uh, which really started back in the 1990s, I would say, already with Jiang Zemin, who talked about building a spiritual civilization and uh, started talking about basically what, uh, what China is about and what Chinese values are about rather than what it is not about and starting to sort of instill and build this idea of being proud of being Chinese, being uh, being proud of, of, of Chinese cultural traditions. I do think that that has had an effect. I don't know that it has only started with Xi Jinping um, or even, you know, in, in, in the 19th Party Congress, but I do think that this change of direction of this discourse from something that is negative and, and rejecting to something that is constructive and talking about being Chinese in a positive way probably has had an effect. China, happiness and the Chinese dream. Gerda, thanks for talking to me. That was Gerda Wielander, Associate Professor in Chinese Studies at the University of Westminster in London and editor of a forthcoming book on Chinese discourses on happiness. I'm Ruth Kirchner. Thanks for listening. Join us again soon and bye for now. You have been listening to Merrick's Experts, the podcast from the Makato Institute for China Studies in Berlin. If you want to learn more about our work, please visit us at merricks.org.